found out that I usually start um, by saying hi. So now I'm very self-conscious when I get up here. Because the first thing I want to do is say hi. <laughs> wow, you all said it back. That's cool. Um, normally, I would apologize for being soaking wet in front of you guys. I don't feel like that needs to be the case. With you guys, you're used to being soaking wet, I'm sure. But then um, I got here. I wore a rain jacket. I was very sure. You know, I, had, I was going to wear a wireless mic. So that doesn't usually work very well with water. Um, and the second I stepped out of the car, the Lord told me to worship in the rain and get messy. And, and that's kind of the way that my life works, right? So um, I'm used to... You know, the Lord, the Lord mirrors my life, I think, for people to see on purpose, right? So uh, many of you may feel that way. The Lord might do things in your life on purpose because he's actually using it as, a, as an illustration, right? So I feel like my life is like a, a living illustration to the world that people can learn from God. So can everybody hear me all right right now? Okay, cool, yeah. The, uh, anyway, yeah. Good. We talked about messes in worship and all the songs, I'm sure, you know, everything's related. So a lot of it had to do with the storm. He's riding on the storm. So that encouraged me while I was dancing in the rain and singing, getting all wet that, oh, yeah, okay, we're at least on one thread that's right, you know. But um, there's a few different things that I've been kind of, I've been, you know, I, I like to pray before I speak to any group and see what the Lord has to say to people, you know, and sometimes he wants me to talk about my own life, be really intimate, share, because usually, again, what's going on in my own life is typically what's happening in a body, either globally or um, just for a single church that I'm about to go to. And so it'll mirror, my personal life will mirror with what I'm about to step into at a place that I'm speaking or ministering at. So I was deciding between a few different things, and then last night the Lord told me we did a little fire tunnel, and the Lord told me what I was going to preach on. And being the, the great steward of knowledge that I am, I forgot immediately. So then last night I woke up from a dream, and I and was processing the dream um, <laughs> as I ran to the bathroom, of course. And, uh, and was processing and thought, oh, yeah, that would be a great sermon. And then went back to bed and forgot it again this morning. And luckily the Lord's good, so he brought it all back to what I, I think I'm supposed to bring for you guys today and, and what the Lord's been showing me. So this is going to be kind of a, this is intimate because this is what I'm learning. But it's also a corporate thing and something that I think the Lord has put on my life. There's three things in the Bible that will last forever besides God himself faith, hope, and love, right? These things will last forever. Everything else fades away. And I'm from Bethel, right? So uh, Woody and I met at Bethel. I was a BSSM student, for those of you that didn't know, up in California. And um, we have the amazing opportunity to hear speakers um, from all over the world, but definitely from California, just come and minister and give us their interpretation of, of different things. And sometimes they're the same Sometimes they're different, and that's kind of the beauty of Bethel is that they, they're okay with people having different opinions on Scripture, right? It doesn't actually discredit relationship by having a different viewpoint. We, the one thing that we all agree on is Jesus is Lord. And other than that, it's kind of a, you know, if the Lord is okay with it, then we're okay with it, right? But I had the opportunity one time, I really, the Lord had been 
highlighting that verse to me, three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. And for months, I contemplated why that would be the case, because it didn't quite make sense to me, right? Love makes sense. Jesus is love. God is love. It makes sense that love would last forever, right? And hope makes sense because, again, similar, God is our hope. Jesus is our hope, right? So it made sense to me that those two things, but faith didn't make sense, right? Faith is a created substance, right? It says Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith, right? So even in biblical illustration, there seems to be a beginning and an end of faith, and yet the Bible also says faith will last forever. And so I prayed and meditated for a long, long time and asked the Lord, why would faith be a substance that lasts forever? What is it about faith that keeps it in existence all the time, right? Because after we're all moved on from this realm and we're living and reigning with Jesus, regardless of how you think that's going to happen, there is a time where we're living in a spiritual realm that that no longer do we have to uh, live life in a physical sense, right? Everything will look different. There won't be sin. There won't be pain. There won't be sadness. There won't be any of these things. So why would we need faith when we're living in the same realm that God is, where we can see him just as clearly as we'd see other people. It doesn't, it didn't make sense to me. And, and the Lord, I thought, was going to give me a lot of clarity, but for months I had to dig at that one. It was a mystery I couldn't unlock. It didn't make sense. And so I, I luckily I got some time with a, a pastor at Bethel, his name's Dan Fairley, and I just had a brief moment with him and I said, Dan, can I ask you a theological question? And, and Dan's a teacher. He's the Bible guy at Bethel, you know? There's different people for different things. There's the laughing guy. There's the funny guy. There's the story guy. There's Bill. And then there's the prophetic guy. That's Chris, right? There's all these people, but Dan's the Bible guy. He knows the Bible probably the best of all the pastors. And so I said, Dan, why would faith, hope, and love last forever? And I thought, surely Dan has gotten this revelation. He's in his mid to late 50s. He's had a lot of time with the Lord. He's been on staff longer than Bill has at Bethel. Like, if the Lord would reveal this mystery to anyone, it would be Dan. And Dan looked at me and smiled and said, isn't that a fun one? I have no idea. And I went, really? He goes, we talk about it all the time. It's a question we're always asking. Why, why, why? Why do these three things last forever? So he told me, this is, he doesn't know but this is his best understanding of why. And he was explaining that, that even Satan, in, when he was in heaven, when he was still an angel, still, still doing his original design, right, as the angelic do now, Satan lost faith that God had the best intentions for his being. He lost the faith that God knew what was best and wanted to obtain it himself. So the faith that carries on forever, even in heaven, is our faith that God always has our best intentions in mind. And that was Dan's explanation, and that was decent enough for me, right? All that to say, we're going to talk about faith today, because I think the Lord wants to impart a fresh impartation of faith. I used impart twice, so maybe there's a double portion on it or something. That sounds good, right? So um, if you don't mind, I do like the Bible. Um, I don't always use it when I'm teaching, not because uh, it's unnecessary or anything, but because sometimes 
uh, the words will just come out of my mind and I don't have to read. But for this one, I don't quite have all these verses memorized. So if you'll turn with me, I'm going to start in 1 Kings. I'm sorry, 2 Kings. We're going to go to 2 Kings 2.12. And I'm going to paint a picture for you guys here that's just give you some some biblical context. We're actually going to go to 13, right? So it's going to be, 13 is the verse I'm going to read, but I'll give you guys context of what's happening. So Elijah, the prophet Elijah, is about to get taken up into heaven on a chariot of fire. The Lord tells him basically to go on a journey, and he's going to get taken up into heaven. He's going to, he's going to be with God forever. So there's two guys in the Bible that other than, uh, well, actually, yeah, there's two guys in the Bible that didn't ever die, right? Elijah being one of them, he just gets to go off in this beautiful whirlwind with horses of fire, chariots of fire, right? It's kind of like the way I think everybody would like to go. Sounds like a pretty exciting way to go, especially if everybody watches it. And Elisha, he's, he's made just in the previous couple chapters, the previous chapter, he's made Elisha his successor. And so The Lord warns Elijah, but Elisha, being a prophet, also knows in advance what's going to happen. And so he's going forth with him. He's following Elijah to this mountaintop to wait for Elijah to be taken away so that he can have his mantle. And so in 2.13, Elijah's already been taken away, carried off, and Elisha is now trying to get back down the mountain to go back to the people. And it says, he picked up the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and went back and stood on the banks of the Jordan. And then he took the cloak that had fallen from him and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. And when he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. So Elijah has just taken the cloak, right? This is, in in prophetic communities, we use the word cloak kind of... uh, ceremoniously for different things. It can mean mandate. It can mean different things. But here it's actually a cloak. It's the, it's the jacket of sorts that Elijah was wearing that fell off as he, as he ascended. So he picks up the cloak and he throws it down into the River Jordan and it splits in two and he cries out for the God of Elijah. Why does he do that? Because previously in the same chapter, as they're ascending the mountain, Elijah does the same thing. Elijah throws down his cloak, but Elijah doesn't say the God of Elijah. Instead, we have at the beginning of the chapter, 2 Kings 2, and I'm going to read the first eight verses to you guys. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down together to Bethel. The company of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, 
do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied. Don't speak about it. I'm going to pause there. This has nothing to do with the sermon, but it makes me laugh every time I read it. Because prophetic people are really good about reminding other people things that are going to happen. And sometimes it's really good. And sometimes it's super annoying. So every time I read that, I think, oh, okay. Sometimes it's okay to tell people to shut up. You don't need to know. Because prophetic people know, right, things are going to happen. But often we get the timing wrong. That's the number one thing about the prophetic that's difficult to maintain. Often we're very right, but our timing is way off. So Elisha knows his authority and knows, I know that. You don't have to remind me, but it's not time. So there's no point in thinking about him leaving yet because he hasn't left yet. So he's reminding the prophets. It's going to happen a few more times. He's going to continue to remind them. Don't tell me. I know. So then it says, then Elijah said to him, stay here, Elisha, because now the Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they both went together to Jericho. There the company of prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, don't you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied, but don't speak about it. Then Elijah said to him, stay here. The Lord has sent me to Jordan. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went together and walked on. Fifty men of the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over to the dry ground. So we're going to stop there, right? So there's a few verses in between where I began and a few uh, in where we're stopping right there, right? So because the in the middle is when Elisha's going to ask Elijah for one thing when he goes up to heaven. He says, can I ask one thing? Can I get a double portion of your mantle? And Elijah says, if you see me go up to heaven, you'll have what you've asked for, right? He gives him an opportunity to partner with him. Because if he doesn't accept it, or he doesn't see him, he's not going to get what he asked for. He, there's an effort that he has to have, right? So he's followed him all this far. Elijah, I think, is testing him in a certain way, right? Because he already knows that he's not going to leave his side. He's just walked with him through three cities. But he tells him anyway. He's communicating something that they both already know. The, the thing that stuck out to me about faith here is that when Elisha goes, he says the God of Elijah. He calls out to God and reminds him that he's the God of Elijah. Reminds himself and reminds the Lord. But when Elijah lays his cloak down into the water, he doesn't, or at least the Bible doesn't say that he said anything. He just did it because it was normal to him. My, my pondering and what I'm presenting to you guys about today is why is that the case? What is he doing? What are they doing that's different, right? Because it is a major detail. One of them's crying out to God. The other one is simply just doing something, but they both get the same result. They both get the same result doing seemingly a similar thing, but not the same thing. There's an importance with us in the kingdom of God 
We all want to do something exactly the way it's done. Usually, we're people of habit. If we see one person do something and see success, often the temptation is, I have to do it exactly how they did it in order to get the result that I want. Otherwise, it's not going to happen. And so we follow people almost religiously to get the same result. But what we don't realize is that you don't have to do exactly the same thing. It's the faith attached to what you're doing that brings it into action, that calls your destiny forth, that brings the goals, the dreams, the visions that you've had with the Lord into, uh, into provision. So the reason I think Elijah does this out of habit, right, is the relational equity that he's built with the Lord already. He has equity with the Lord. He's seen the Lord do things that other people haven't. But Elijah's been around pretty a lot also, right? Elisha has some equity with him, and he's about to get a double portion of Elijah's mantle. So there is equity. So there's, it's not the equity that's the difference here. They both have equity. Elijah does what he needs to do out of the equity. He pulls from it, right? He pulls from the bank. He gets a deposit from the bank of God, his faith bank. Elijah doesn't pull from the equity, not because he can't, but because he knows Elijah still has some in the bank. Where am I going with all this? I believe that there is a faith attached to your inheritance. And sometimes in a storm, in a dark season, in a good season even, in any season, it might be hard for you to stir your faith. It might be hard to pull from your own relational equity with the Lord. It can be difficult to have faith for yourself sometimes. There's all over the New Testament, Jesus is healing people, he's reaching out and he says, your faith has made you well. Whatever your theology on that is, whether you believe only faith heals people or you believe Jesus heals people and he's highlighting something else, that doesn't matter. The point I'm making is, Sometimes it's hard to pull on your own faith. But you can always pull on the faith of other people. And you can pull on the faith of your inheritance. Because that's something that stays. Elijah doesn't transition. I believe there's a reason, even beyond Elijah, that he didn't die. There's a reason he just transcends into heaven. And I think that that is a picture of how we today in the New Testament are supposed to look at the transition of life, from life to death. It's not life to death, it's life to another. It's life to life. And so for that same reason, I believe that there is a faith, there's a substance of faith that we are able to pull down on in times when it's almost impossible for us to have faith for something ourselves. And that's why he says, you're the God of Elijah. He's reminding himself, hey, he still has equity in his bank. And I'd like to pull from that, please. I don't want to pull from my own deposit. I'd like to have his. There are five times in the Bible where the water is split. Five times where the water separates. The first time is Genesis, right? God separates the water from the land, creation itself. The second time is Moses. He's leading the people out of Egypt to get to dry ground, to safety, to get away. The Lord separates the waters when Moses puts his staff in. 
There's a history here of things God does. The third and fourth time is the people of Israel with Joshua. Different reasons, but Joshua actually parts the sea. One of them is for the Ark of the Covenant. One of them is just to get the people to dry ground. The Lord tells them to move to the other side of the river. This is the, uh, I'm sorry, that's the third time. It's kind of one event, but it's the same day. It's one event. The fourth and fifth time are this, Elijah and Elisha going up and down the mountain. There are many times throughout 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Samuel, all over the Old Testament, where God is called the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I believe the reason is because they understood spiritual inheritance and faith inheritance. Abraham is known as the father of faith for a reason, and I think that's why his name is used synonymously with the name of God. Because really what they're saying, what the old prophets were tapping into is faith itself. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not yet seen. The Passion Translation says, faith brings our hope into reality and it becomes the foundation needed to acquire the things that we've longed for. I love that. I think that's beautiful. Woody read that to me in the truck, which was awesome. I didn't even ask. It was so perfect with where I was going today because it just, it was like the icing on the sweet little carrot cake, you know? I felt like the Lord wanted to release a grace for faith, a refreshing, if you will, because I believe that this equity of faith only grows. The bank account only gets larger. It's never decreasing. And as times go on in your personal life, corporately, whatever it looks like, there's always this temptation. There can be this temptation to assume that you don't have enough faith to acquire what you long for, what you've hoped for, what you've desired. And instead, I believe the Lord wants us to remember that he's the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Elijah, the God of David, all these men of the Old Testament, even the New Testament. He's the God of Paul, the God of James, the God of uh, Solomon, all of these people that had amazing faith, hope, desire, the people that saw the things happen that they called into fruition. And I felt like that's what the Lord wanted me to speak about to you guys. Because through faith, we have access to things we wouldn't otherwise. And faith is the only evidence required for people to know something's going to happen. People that, that think on a physical plane, right? People that may not be in the kingdom, this can be a difficult thing for them to wrap their heads around. They want physical, seen evidence, but we don't always have that. What we have is faith. We have faith. We have something that can't be seen, but it itself is seen. The faith is the physical evidence. We discount it sometimes because we think, well, you can't see faith, but you can. You can see faith all the time. The second somebody tells you, no, I know this is going to happen, they're attaching to faith, right? They may not even know why. 
they're confident. They're so confident in something. But they are attaching to that physical, that spiritual, that mystical sense of faith, that deposit bank of faith. Another way that we can attach ourselves to faith is through memory. Memories often can be encounters if you let them. Sometimes it's really hard to encounter the Lord, or it could be, but he's just as present in every moment as he was in the moment before, just as present as he will be in the moment next. But again, whether lack of faith, lack of trust, lack of emotional stability, lack of circumstance, there can be a million things that pull you away from a fresh encounter, right, in the physical. It can seem like it's difficult to get alone with God. It's difficult to have that, that sweet spot again. You may have, you've had a past season of, of gratefulness, and you've seen the miraculous. You've seen healings, and then something happens. And, and for some of you, it will be circumstantial in the physical because that's the area that's, that's the most difficult for you to find trust. For others of you, it, it might be spiritual. It might be something else. It could be the rain stopping. It could be the rain continuing. It could be thunder. It could be anything that stops you from having that moment with God where you're like, this is, this is not possible. I, I need you, but I can't focus, right? Isn't that funny? Isn't it funny that sometimes we think we have to be able to focus to have an encounter with God, but he's the creator of everything, the creator of the universe, the one that's so intimate with us. He's our brother, our friend. He knows everything about us, and yet we're like, oh, God, I, I can't focus. We must not be able to talk. That's hilarious, right? There's no, there's no need to focus, right? There's moments where you want to get alone. It's good to focus. There's nothing wrong with focusing, but the idea that you have to have everything perfect to have an encounter with God is laughable. You don't need everything to be perfect to have a fresh encounter. You don't need everything to be perfect to know what God is saying, what he's doing. In fact, often, he's working in the imperfect. Most of the time, all the time, he's working in the imperfect circumstances, the imperfect realities. But in those moments when it can be difficult, right, because we're all still human, he's good enough to let you have a moment. But it can be hard. It can be hard to access. And so that's how we go through memory. You can remember another encounter that you've had. Often I do this. When I need to be alone and I haven't had a fresh encounter in a couple weeks and I don't know what's happened, and I'm like, Lord, where are you? I can't find you. I often go to where I found him in the past. I meet him where he was at for me. Where he's met me, I go back and meet him again. And I'm like, hey, I know you're somewhere else right now, but I'm going to go back here looking for you because I know that when we look for him, we find him. So often I'll go searching through God through my own memory, and I'll go, okay, I didn't have an encounter this morning, but a couple years ago, I had this beautiful encounter, and that's where I want to go with you. Because memory unlocks. Memory is this doorway into fresh encounter. The Bible says that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, 
Often we'll share testimonies with other people, but we're hesitant to remind ourselves of our own. It's true. You're, you might be quick to tell people about a testimony that happened, right? For whatever reason, conviction, could be faith, could be anything that you're like, I need to tell somebody that this happened because, you know, subconsciously then, then I've done what I'm supposed to do. But the next time something else happens and you don't quite have that testimony, you have a quote-unquote failure, it might take you a while to remind yourself of the, the past that you had. Oh, I had this encounter with God. I forgot about that. Or it's not worthy. You need somebody else's testimony. You forget to go tap into the bank that the Lord has given you, right? I started at the beginning. I was telling you guys, and this is true, but often my life mirrors things corporately. There's a mandate, I believe, on my life to be a walking illustration for the world. Sometimes that is not my favorite thing, but I'm willing to do it anyway. And that's why I think he had me dancing in the rain when I'm not supposed to be. I'm supposed to be dry. (laughs) And there I am in the rain. But I'm a storyteller because of that, right? That's the way I'm wired. And if you were here, if you were in school, uh, then you know that about me already. I tell stories because that's the way that God teaches me, and that's the way I I think I teach others. So I'm going to share a story with you. Some of you have heard it, some of you haven't, but I think it illustrates this this idea of accessing the faith bank that I want to impart to you guys. In my second year of school of ministry, I was sitting in my room, and I don't... um, I don't normally like to talk to the people I live with. I don't know if anybody relates to that or not. But I have this un, um, unspoken mental uh, agreement with myself that when I move into somewhere with roommates, I'm only contractually obligated to have minimal contact with them. <laughs> I'm a little bit of an introvert when it comes to the way I live. So when I get up in the morning, I don't usually, I have to remind myself, oh, Some people like to say hello, so I have to go, hi. And then I get my coffee, and I run back to my room. You know, or or if people are doing something in the house, they're having to get together, I'm like, okay, I got to make plans on Thursday because they're going to have people at the house, and and I don't want to do that. So I have to work on that. That's not something that I love, but that is just kind of how I was raised. I had five sisters. They always had people at the house. I was always the one, the one boy, like, I'm just going to go hang out in my room, so that's what's normal for me. So this moment, there's a reason I'm telling you this thing about me, but I'm in my room and I'm, uh, I'm watching a, a TV program of some kind. I don't remember what it was, a movie or something. And I feel this stir. I didn't necessarily think it was the Lord. It wasn't like I heard God and so I went and did something. I just felt this weird heart pull of, oh, I want to hang out with my housemates. And that's unusual for me. So I knew, oh, I should probably... Maybe I should tap into that. That's, that's a weird thing for me to feel. So, so I got up and I went to the living room and, and I asked my housemates what they were doing. And they were talking about a few different things, mostly Marvel movies. They were talking about the genealogy of superheroes. Um, I don't quite uh, uh, get that. I do enjoy superheroes, but it's not 
it's not really what I spend my time doing, so um, I'm already not in the know on most of what we're talking about here. And so instead, I walk over to my bookshelf, and I start looking through the books on my bookshelf, and, and I'm picking books off, and I'm interrupting their conversation, and I, I'm telling them, have you guys read this book before? You know, they're like, uh, no. So anyway, if Superman really came down, right, you know, they go right back to whatever they're talking about, and I'm like, ah, okay. So then I, I like look back further down, I grab another book, I'm like, oh, what about this one, right? And I pick out these really good books. And I pick out one by Brother Lawrence, which is a book that I read every year, The Practice of the, uh, the, practice of the Presence of God. And I'm like, have you guys read this? It's a really quick book. It's one of the most impactful books I've ever read. And they're like, no, we haven't read it. And I, I quickly, before they can jump back into the conversation, I, I start reading just, like, just a little bit out loud for all of them. And they're all sitting there quietly, and they're like, wow, that's amazing. Maybe we should read that. I'm like, ooh, that's good. No. I put it away, and I grab a third book. And this one's about angels. It's by Billy Graham. And I begin to tell them the story of how I found this book and how the Lord had actually brought me to this, this beautiful blue, blue book. And as I'm telling them, I, I start to feel this sense of holy fear that I know accompanies the presence of the angelic often for me. And so as I'm talking about this book, I know, oh, there's somebody in this room that's not my housemates. But I don't say anything. I'm quietly contemplating where they're at, what they're doing. I don't quite see them yet. I can just feel them. I know there's three. They're standing in the corner. I don't know why they're there. They're very tall, and they're all wearing white. So as I'm, like, searching my feelings, I begin to see a picture of where they're at. And one of my housemates looks at me and gets very stern, and he starts shaking, and he goes, hey, are there angels in the room right now? And I said, uh-huh. And he goes, there, are there three of them? And I went, yeah. And he goes, are they standing right next to me? And I went, yep. And he goes, I thought so. I feel terrified right now. <laughs> and I'm like, no, 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 it's good. Yeah, I'm like, me too. But also, yeah, it's good that they're here. And, and our other housemate that's in the room with us, Nathan's his name. And um, <laughs> Nathan wasn't quite used to that being normal yet. He just moved in from Arizona. He, he knew the supernatural in thought, but he hadn't actually had it in practice quite yet. So he's like, what? Where? And I'm like, oh, there's three angels over there. It's not, you know, they're, they're cool. You know, we like the angels. And he's like, you can see them? You know, he starts freaking out. And I'm like, yeah, they're standing here. They're by Luke. You know, they're, I, you know, I don't know what they're doing. And he goes, he goes, seriously, what are they doing? And I'm like, I don't know. And so I'm like looking and they all look kind of ornery. They're just straight faced and and they all look the same. And, and I'm like, I don't know. They look kind of mad. And he goes, are they mad? Are they mad at me? Are they mad at us? And I'm like, I don't know. What'd you do? You know? <laughs> and, and he goes, he goes, I don't know. I don't know. Are, 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 are they mad? And he starts panicking. And I'm like, no, they, they don't look mad. I, they look like they're waiting for something. And then instantly it just clicks. And I'm like, oh, they're waiting for Nathan. They're looking at Nathan, right? So I'm like, oh, they're waiting for Nathan to say something. And then I'm like, oh, these are his angels assigned to intercession. They're waiting for him to tell them to go do something. They're waiting to be sent out. They've been assigned to his voice, and they're waiting to go and do what he's declared on the earth. So I tell him that, right? And he's a panic. Uh, I don't know what to pray for. What do I tell him to do? What, 
why? Why do I have angels? So I'm like, I don't know. You just, they're just here, right? So I say, or Luke, Luke says, well, pray for us. Tell them to do stuff to us. If you don't know what else to pray for, like, that sounds fun. So the second he opens his mouth, I lose it. I start laughing. I'm on the floor. You know, I can see one of the angels comes over and tickles me. And then Luke's on the floor, and he's laughing, and, and I go into this encounter with God that's beautiful. And, and, and after, you know, 20, 30 minutes, it's not super long, I get up off the floor. And, and I had an encounter prior where the Lord had strapped a watch to my wrist, and he said, I'm giving you an anointing to know the times and the seasons. He'd give me a, a Levite's anointing or uh, the tribe of um, Issachar. The tribe of Issachar had an anointing amongst the tribes to know the times and the seasons, and so the Lord had in this encounter, strapped a watch to my wrist and told me that. And so I'm laying there in this encounter, and again, it, it goes 20, 30 minutes, and, and the Lord and I are talking, but it, it kind of got into a lull of conversation. And I thought in the encounter, and I'm looking at Jesus, and I, I think, hey, my movie's not over. And I'm like, is, it, is this one of those encounters where you want me to just give up what I've been doing and just stay and lean in because you're about to pour something out. You're about to show me something. You want me to lean in right now and sacrifice my own desire for you? And he goes, uh, dude, I, I gave you the watch. And so I'm like, oh, wait, does that, mean, does that mean I get to choose when we're done? Like, I get to choose when this encounter's over? That's weird. How cool. We're friends. I forgot. I get to choose sometimes. So I'm, I'm like, okay, well, if it's my choice, then I want to go watch my movie. Like, this is great, but can't you and I just go watch the movie together? And he goes, yeah, that sounds great. You should go to bed. And I'm like, okay, yeah, whatever. I'm going to go finish this movie. So I get up, and, and the two other guys are like laid out on the floor. They're in an encounter with God. Oh, yeah, some of you are picking up what just happened. And I start walking toward my living room, and I get to the door, right? We have two living rooms in this house. It's a big house. There's like 10 people that live there. And so I'm about to walk through the first living room and open the door. And my, I feel a check, a mental check. Not the Lord necessarily, but just my own brain finally processes what I just heard. And I go, oh, you use the word should, which means that's the better choice should so I should you're kind of the creator of the universe so if you think one's better than the other I should probably do the one you think is better not the one I want to do so I go okay I guess I'm going to go to bed earlier that day my car had stopped working and I drive a fairly new car so it was kind of unusual for it to just quit out on me and I'd had a lot of I was in a season of disappointment and and different things that were happening. There was a lot of of spiritual battles I was having that were manifesting in the physical. So there was a lot of things happening. People around me getting sick, lockdowns. Um, Of course, you know, you guys know it was the middle of COVID when this is happening. So um, our house had been declared by the city as a hot zone. So they actually locked our house down, right? So like not the city was locked down, but then they locked our house down for a month. None of us were allowed to leave for an entire month, and they would come every day and check on us, right? And so I was very upset, and I never had COVID. I never got it. I've been with people all over the world now 
and the second I arrive, they get COVID, and I don't, and I, you know, it's kind of a blessing and a curse. I'm like, can I just have it already and get it over with? So sick of the lockdowns, but thank God the lockdowns seem to be over now. So I'm going through this season, and my car stops working, and all I can do is laugh. So I call my dad, and I'm like, hey, my car stopped working. Isn't that hilarious? And he's like, no, that's not hilarious. What, what did you do? And I'm like, I don't know. It's probably the devil. I'm not sure. So <laughs> he goes, well, I'll take it to a mechanic the next day, you know, and, and figure it out. So um, all that to say that night, right, I'm, I walked through the, the living room. So this has happened earlier in the day, and I'm walking through my living room. I've decided, okay, I should go to bed. And, and so I open the first door, and I turn around, and I, I shut it, and I, I blow a kiss to my two roommates who are encounters with God. And then I turn back around. And as clear as I've ever seen in the spirit, overlaid on top of the physical realm, on top of my kitchen table, my living room, the, the kitchen itself, the hallways, I see everything as if it was normal in the physical. And then I also see like a kaleidoscope, a spiritual garden with fruits I've never seen before. Trees, flowers, there are yellow, red roses everywhere, marigolds all over the place. There's these three flowers just blossoming all over the house. And everywhere I take a step, I'm taking a step in both realms. And I can see it clear as day. So I'm picking fruit off the tree. There's a lot of mangoes everywhere. I love mangoes. Probably my favorite fruit. Not sure. There's a lot of good fruits. And I step into my room, right? I'm in awe of everything I'm seeing. So I take a step into my bedroom. My roommate is laying in his bed, I flick the light on, and I see my side of the room is on the left. I see it first, and there's all these beautiful yellow roses, so tall they're, they're creating a little canopy, and I see the, this grass, and, like, where my bed is is just this, like, matted down patch of grass, and all these roses are creating this beautiful canopy over top of me. And I'm, so I'm looking at it, I'm like, wow, that's so beautiful that that's where I get to sleep every night in this, this beautiful, like, rose bed that the Lord has made for me. That's so cool. And then I look over to the right, and my, my roommate has a bunch of rose bushes on his side of the room, too. But none of them are flowering. They're all just sticks. They're dead roses. So it's just thorns and sticks. And I'm so... Um, drunk in the spirit at this point that I don't really have a filter and I look at him and I go ew you've got to trim those things and so then I go I crawl up in my bed and I'm I'm sniffing the roses oh and I'm loving it and I can smell them right and and Douglas rolls over and he goes what and I, I roll back over and I'm like ooh, dude seriously You've got to cut those. And he goes, what, are you drunk right now? And I rolled back over and I just started laughing and smiled at him. I went, uh-huh. And he goes, what are you seeing? And I'm like, there's rose bushes everywhere. And they're so beautiful. And he goes, okay. And what do you see on me? And I'm like, well, you have roses. Ew. But they're all dead. They're just sticks and thorns. And he's like, okay. And Douglas has a lot of patience. So he's not offended, right? Normally, if I would say that to you, it might immediately offend you. Luckily, Douglas knew me well enough to know I'm just not filtering myself. I don't mean to insult him. I'm just telling him what I see. So he checks immediately, and he goes, can you ask Jesus what that means? 
why, why would that be on me? And so I'm like, oh, I didn't think about asking. Maybe I should ask, right? So I, I go, oh, Lord, what is, uh, what is this? And I immediately know. And I, go, I roll back over and I'm like, oh, you think that all the prayers that you've uttered, all the love that you give people is never given back. And so you've begun to keep, get, you've stopped giving out love because you never get back the love that you think you give other people. He's like, oh, wow. Yeah, that's what I was praying about before you came in the room. Like, that's exactly what I needed to hear. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. All of this is backstory because we're about to get really fun. So follow me, right? We're still on faith. This still has to do with faith. So I go to bed that night. I have three dreams. The first dream is nonsense. It means nothing. I know immediately in the dream this is just for fun. There's no prophetic significance to this. The second dream, I wake up in my bed, in the dream, sit up in my bed, I go out to my car, I put a key in the ignition, and the car starts perfectly fine, nothing wrong with it, and then I go back inside. And the third dream is a, is a prophetic dream that I, that I have about something later that ended up happening, right? So when I wake up in the morning, I'm going through my three dreams, and I'm like, yeah, that first one was really fun. That one meant nothing. The second one, that was kind of cool. That one was weird. There didn't seem to be any symbolism. Didn't seem prophetic. My car really doesn't work, so maybe I should give it a shot. So I get up in bed. I don't even put clothes on. So I get up in be- I get up from bed. I take my key. It's like 7 o'clock in the morning. I walk outside. I put my key in the ignition, and it starts immediately. Nothing wrong. And I'm like, no way. That's awesome. So I, you know, I film a quick little video, a testimony. I send it out to... Some friends, I send it on to our revival group, and I'm like, guys, testimony time. This is what Jesus did for me today. Isn't this awesome? It's so cool. End the video. And I get out of the car, and I start walking up. Now, I live with eight other guys, and none of them are quite the um, green thumbs. So we didn't really plant anything at our rental house. We just, you know, we had some grass, but nobody was ever outside. We used the pool, and that's about it. So as I'm walking up uh, from my car to the house, there's, like, these little, like, steps, right? So I'm, like, I'm, like, going to walk up our steps, and I realize that not there before, because we didn't have anything planted, but now, physically, there's a giant yellow rose bush right next to my steps, that's in full blossom in the physical. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. Jesus planted a rose bush for me last night. That's so cool. And I go inside, right? I still think I'm seeing the kaleidoscope. So I'm like, oh, that's beautiful. I go inside, and a few minutes later, one of my uh, housemates who, had, who worked a night shift comes home, and he goes, uh, who planted roses? And I'm like, oh, that was God. I'm like, wait, you saw those? And he goes, um, yeah. Was I not supposed to? It's a pretty big bush. And I'm like, oh, wow. So I, like, go back outside to check that they're still there. And I'm like, oh, I'm touching them. I'm like, oh, these are in the physical. That's so cool. No way. You know, I'm so excited. So uh, Douglas gets up. He, he goes out to check our mail. And he comes back in and just stern face looks at me. And he goes, um, I'm like, I know. Did you see the roses? And he goes, are you serious right now? And I'm like, yeah. He goes, did you go to Home Depot and buy roses? And I'm like, nope. Nope. That was Jesus. Jesus planted those roses. He goes, Okay, okay, cool, 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 cool. Cool, can I ride with you to school today? And I'm like, 
sure, yeah, you know, because he would never ride with me. But he's like, yeah, let's go together. So he, he's like, as we get in the car, he goes, can you tell me about the encounters you were having last night? I want to know what was happening. So I'm like, yeah. So I tell him, like, there's all these mango trees. I was pulling fruit off the tree and taking bites of them. And, and I was doing this. And God was highlighting this. And I'm like, and then I went to bed. And my car works. So he goes, okay, yeah. And he's processing. He doesn't say a whole lot else. And we get to class. And he goes, can I sit by you today? And I'm like, sure, yeah. So he's like, where do you want to sit? You know, and I'm like. I don't care. Like wherever you want to sit is fine. He goes, okay, let's um, okay, let's let's sit in the middle. And I'm like, okay. So he grabs his seat and he puts his Bible next to me. He goes, does this is this okay? And I'm like, yeah, dude, it's fine. Like we could sit wherever. He goes, well, where are the trees at? Because that's where we should sit, right? And I'm like, dude, there's no trees here. I don't see any trees. <laughs> and he goes, really, you don't see any trees? I'm like, no, nope. This is just just chairs. We're at school. There's nothing weird going on. I'm not seen in the spirit right now. I'm just here with you. I'm your friend. We're having a normal conversation. He's like, okay. So a few minutes goes by, and then class starts, and we do worship, and, and one of the speakers gets up, and, and he starts teaching. And this particular um, speaker at school um, really dislikes distraction. It is very well known that there are other teachers where if the Lord's moving, and he wants to do something, you have full range to do whatever. And it's not that he won't let you go off with the Lord and do something, but he will definitely call you out from stage if he notices that you've decided to follow the Lord instead of listening to his teaching. He'll make it very apparent because he wants to know it's real and he wants the rest of the people to be engaged. And it just distracts him a lot as a speaker. It's hard for him because he's also a seer. It's difficult for him to not follow what's happening in a room, <laughs> what he knows who I'm talking about. <laughs> so, so because he's teaching, I know I got to be normal today, nothing weird, don't do anything. I'm fully, like, engaged. And Douglas leans over as he starts his sermon, and he goes, hey, are there any mangoes in here? And I look at him in disgust, right? I'm like... <laughs> because I can see the mangoes, and that's why I'm reminding myself, don't be weird, don't be weird, don't be weird, because behind the speaker is all these mango trees. And I go, Douglas, yes, there are, but please, like, let's just pay attention right now. Let's not, he goes, okay, okay, can I have a mango? And I'm like, I don't know, does that work? Like, I don't know how that works. So, you know, I've never done that before. I've never seen something in the spirit and then grabbed it and given it away to somebody. So I'm like, I don't know. Sure, I guess, you know, I'm weird and wacky. I'll give it a shot. So I, I put my hand forward, right? <laughs> and I grab this mango off of this tree that I see in my mind. And I pull it down and, and I hand it to him. And he, he drops it as if it's got a weight to it, right? He's like, I'm like, oh, wow, he's fully engaged with the moment. This is awesome. And then he holds it. He cups it to his mouth and he takes a bite and boom, he is just rolling in laughter. And then I'm in panic. Like, oh no, oh no. And he is just rolling. And the people in front of us turn around and they're looking at us and the people behind, right? Like there's, everybody at Bethel's weird, but some of us are a little fruitier than others, right? And you can tell who the fruity ones are. So I'm like sitting there all, you know, quietly and my roommate is just laughing and rolling and laughing and and I'm, like, looking at him like I don't know why. You know, I'm like, this guy, you know, he's, I don't know what that is. I'm paying attention, you know. So I'm not breaking eye contact. And 
after a few more minutes goes by, he, he looks at me and, with this smile and he goes, oh, wow. Can you get me another one? And I'm like, Dougie, not right now, dude. He goes, no, really, can I have another one? Okay. So I, I reach up and I grab him another one and I, I hand it over to him. And immediately he just starts rolling and laughing and he's going nuts and more people are turning around. And at this point, I'm like, okay, it's worked twice now. Like, I don't want to miss a moment, right? So I'm like, I, maybe I should grab a mango. So I reach up and I grab myself a mango and I'm, I'm looking at it in my mind's eye and I'm like, here we go. And I take a bite and I feel nothing. Absolutely nothing. I get nothing. I'm like, oh, Okay, I don't see any images, I'm not having a vision, I'm not, I don't feel giggly. Like, so then I just start laughing at how ridiculous he is because he felt the Lord on something that I don't and I'm the one seeing it. So I'm like, this is crazy. We look like a bunch of crazy people, right? We're the, we're the prophets yelling at Elisha, don't you know? That's who we are. So he's rolling around and I'm like, okay, maybe, maybe the first one doesn't work, but maybe if I do a second one, maybe that'll work. So I reach up a second time, and, and I pull the mango down, and I take a bite, and again, I feel nothing at all. And I'm like, okay, well, maybe this moment just isn't for me. Maybe it was just for Douglas. Like, he needed, he needed this break for something. The Lord's doing something in him, and, and it's not in me. But the moment after I have that thought, I remember this time just a few months prior when I was in Mexico speaking at a church, and they had gotten me mango covered in chili powder which I'm sure many of you have had before. It's one of my favorite snacks. When I was a kid here, I would eat it all the time. I would still eat it in the States whenever I could, but it's not super common. Not everybody has that. It's not very normal. They don't know about it, right? They don't know how good that combination is. And so I remember eating the mango and chili powder. And, you know, mango's so fibrous. It gets stuck in your teeth. If you don't have a toothpick, it can be a really long day, especially with my teeth. Everything seems to get stuck in my teeth. So... I remember that, and I'm like, oh, Lord, when you give me a mango, don't let it get stuck in my teeth next time, right? This is all I say. It's the only words that physically come out of my mouth. I'm having a mental memory of a real thing that happened in a prophetic moment, and the only thing that I ask the Lord is, don't let it get stuck in my teeth. So the rest of the day goes on. Douglas spends the whole afternoon on the floor encountering Jesus, and I listen to the teacher teach about spiritual and physical finances, and <laughs> which was a really good sermon. And school gets done, and everything goes back to normal, and, and Douglas gets off the ground, and he's like, okay, I'm ready to go whenever you are. And he's like, wow, I need this today. This is really impactful. Thank you for, you know, stepping out and being weird with me. I'm like, oh, yeah, you're welcome, you know. And as we're walking to our car, or to my car, this girl that I know, I know her by name, but I don't really know her that well. You know, she's just kind of one of those... You know, if we're a TV show, she's kind of like the side character, right? She's not a main character by any means. She just exists in my mental TV show of a life. And she comes over and she goes, hey, um, do you want a smoothie? And I'm like, oh, yeah, who doesn't want a smoothie? Smoothies are great, right? What kind of smoothie? And she goes, well, I, I really wanted a smoothie all day today. So I went and got this smoothie, and she was like, but it's really weird. And the second that I got the smoothie, 
I didn't want it. I was like full. And she was like, I don't know why, but I immediately thought I have to give this smoothie to Isaac Beck. And I was like, ooh, that's cool. I was like, so what kind of smoothie did you get me? And she goes, it's a mango smoothie, of course. And I'm like, yeah, good. I like mangoes. And she goes, but I added chili powder to it. Is that okay? And I'm like, oh, it can't get stuck in my teeth. Right? I immediately know this is my mango in the physical that the Lord had given me. And he's given it in a smoothie so that it won't get stuck in my teeth. And I'm like, this is awesome. So I, I'm like, it won't get stuck in my teeth. And she goes, what? And I'm like, yeah, you, yeah, you had to be there, you know. So I like, I run and I, I tell one of my pastors that what, you know, a very short version of what had happened. And I'm like, the spirit realm was open. I'm pulling things down. And look, I have a smoothie. God gave me the smoothie. And she's like, you have to tell everybody. So we go to this class and she has me tell, you know, a group of 40 or 50 of what, what had just happened. And she she grabs the mic for me, and she's like, okay, guys, she's like, there's, a, there's something in the spirit about pulling things down. So just everybody just reach up, and the first thing you see, just pull that down right now. Just pull it down. And so everybody starts just, they're, you know, hesitantly, like, okay. You know, they they're all start pulling up, and the seers are, like, pulling a lot of things down. And the people that aren't seers are, like, just kind of pulling. And so I'm like, okay. I'm like, well, I need some money right now. So I, like, look up, and I see this vending machine in the you know in my mind's eye with with money in different slots and I I like tap a button in and then I reach into it like a vending machine and I pull down and the second I do I get a notification on my phone that five hundred dollars has just landed in my bank account and I'm like whoa so I I run back up to to Mary as my pastor and I'm like uh Mary uh look I pulled money down and here it is and she's like, oh, my gosh. And she starts jumping, and she's getting all excited. She goes, quickly, quickly, everybody pull right now. Everybody pull. Start pulling. Pull really hard. You know, and so more people are pulling and pulling. And, and I'm like, you know, I'm like laughing. I'm like, this is wild. I've never had this happen before. This is the first time I've ever pulled anything down. And both times I've done it, it's worked. So I'm like, this is pretty cool. So then I go to a dinner after that, right? So the rest of the class goes by fun, and then I go to a dinner, and, and I'm with some friends. And these friends are not Bethel people. They just happen to be in town. So they're not, they love Jesus. They're not used to the super weird stuff happening all the time. They're from out of state. They just happen to be there. They were driving through, and so we get a dinner, and, and it's one of their birthdays. So we, we get there, and one of my friends leans over, and she goes, how was your day? And I'm like, you know normal pretty normal day and she goes really I'm like well if you want to hear about it I'll I can tell you but you know it might offend your theology a little bit and she's like that's okay yeah tell us you know and her dad shows up her dad's not a believer at all and he sits right next to me and, and she goes well, can dad hear it I'm like if you if you think so yeah sure I'll tell your dad you know and and uh so she's like, yeah, what, so what happened? So I tell her about the, the mangoes, and, and then I start telling her about, you know, I pulled it down, I get the smoothie, it's awesome, it's like a little love letter from heaven. Then I'm like, and then I'm telling this class about it a little bit, you know, just before I came here to dinner, and, and I'm like, and all I did was go like this and pulled it down, and boom, money was in my account. And ding, my phone goes off again, $250 into my bank account the very second. I'm, and I go, holy crap, and I like show them like, look, it happened a third time. And they all start pulling really hard. Her dad is, like, staring at all of us. And he's like, you believe in Jesus? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I believe in Jesus. That's who gave me all this money. He goes, okay, that's not the Jesus I've ever heard about. Why don't you tell me a little bit more about this Jesus, you know? And so we get to, you know, we, I get to witness to her dad because of these weird, weird things that are happening all day, right? 
that's a fun story that really happened. It's a fun story, but I think that story illustrates pulling faith from an account that isn't yours. Because I didn't have the faith that I'm going to pull this imaginary mango down and God's going to give me a smoothie. I had no no knowledgeable faith attached to that. I had no knowledgeable faith attached to pulling money down. There was no part of me that said, I have faith for this. But there is a bank account of faith that exists already, that is out there, that has been stewarded by people that have lived long before us, that have existed, that have co-labored with God, that have done things with God. They've built equity with God. You might have equity with God, but sometimes you don't have that tangible sense of, ooh, I have faith for this, and you need something else. And I'm telling you, there is a bank account that you can pull from that you don't have to feel, you don't have to sense, you don't even have to know it's there. It is there already. And it's yours to access at any point, any time that you need. And so I believe the Lord today wanted to impart to all of you a grace for faith. I believe it is going to be that tangible sense of faith, a gift of faith, but I also believe if you're in a time, if you're in a season where it's impossible or feels impossible to attach faith to the thing that you've been longing for, the thing you've desired, even the thing that you've seen, right? Some of you might be seers and you've seen something happen, but everything else around it doesn't seem to be pointing that way. I'm telling you, there's a bank account that you can grab onto where you get to just have it without forcing it. You get to pull from that without it feeling it. You get to know that it's there. So, Lord, I thank you today for an impartation of fresh faith, of a fresh, tangible sense of faith. God, I thank you that everyone within the sound of my voice, everyone within the metron of my spirit here on this land, Lord, that you would impart a fresh grace, a fresh gift of faith upon us all. Lord, that we would be aware of the bank account of heaven that exists, the faith of heaven that is already in motion. God, that we would partner with the creativity of heaven to see fun things happen based on the faith of those that have passed on before us, those that will go after us, in ourselves, Lord, that you would build on our relational equity with you, that, God, we would know you better, we would know you intimately, but, God, that we would also get to join the parade, the beautiful parade of the ones that have already gone. Lord, I pray that you would meet everyone today exactly where they're at, and for those that are having a difficult time finding you in their moment of pain, their moment of silence, that anybody having difficulty meeting you would just get a double portion and acceleration of your presence, God, that you would fall fresh on us. Lord, I pray for fresh fire, fresh wind, fresh rain. Lord, refresh our spirits today. Go before us. And Lord, I pray a blessing over each and every one of the people here regardless of age, creed, whatever it is. Lord, there is no, there's no end to the blessing I give out today. And so, Lord, I speak a blessing. I partner with you over all of them. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, guys.